Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to Sensensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. This podcast is made by Sensensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to Sensensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. So welcome to the podcast today. I want to welcome on Yong Kang Chang on this podcast. He is a well-known author and has written a lot of different books, which I will put in the description below that you can go check out on Amazon um, that I highly recommend. And I think today what I really wanted to discuss with you is this concept we call self-love because I hear it thrown around so often by so many different people and yet when I ask a lot of people you know about self-love they find it hard to really describe what is it even you know and it's hard to cultivate something we don't really fully understand what is right I found a bit the same with confidence when I talk and I said well what is confidence we're not really sure so it might be a good place to start if you want to just talk about what is self-love really what is this concept and what is it about self-love is something it's very difficult to talk about when when i I talk about self-love i'm more concerned about whether we are coming from the place of um the mind the ego or are we coming from the place of a spirit Mm. so when people talk about self Self-love, they, are, they, they sometimes think of like taking care of themselves. That is part of self-love. Self-care is part of self-love. But uh, I'm more, when I talk about self-love, is like I have a separation between the, between the mind and the spirit. So, so when the mind is like, let's say your mind is very active and like it's very self-critical, right? But, but that isn't you. You are the spirit. You, there is a separation between the, critical mind and the person observing the critical mind. So, so, let, so let me give you an, an analogy that I use for my book, in one of my book, Empty Your Cup. Okay, when, when we go to the cinema and watch a movie, right? So there is the movie and that's the, the actor and actresses in the movie. When we are very immersed in the story, we felt like we are, we are in the movie itself. We felt like we are part of the character. But Actually, at the end of the movie, when the movie ends, we come back to ourselves, we go back to our life, we leave the cinema. So when I, when I describe like, like body, mind, and spirit, body to me is like the actor acting the role in the movie. The mind is the director directing the actor and the actress to do whatever that is scripted in the, uh, whatever that is inside the script. And spirit is us. We are the audience. We are watching the movie. But if there is no separation between the mind and the spirit, that means we think we are the mind. We think we are the self-critical thoughts. We think we are the thoughts. There's no space. Then we totally immerse ourselves in the movie. We think that we are the people suffering in the movie. But for me, when we have have some space between the spirit and the and the mind, we are able to observe that this is the story that our mind tells us, but it's not 
exactly the truth. We are just perceiving, perceiving the story. And as the audience, we get to choose which movie you want to watch. If this movie is about uh, one about us suffering, one, one about us being the victim, then we can choose not to watch this movie. We can choose to watch another movie. Because ultimately, the person watching the movie is the most important. The director can give, can shoot a lot of different movies, but if nobody wants to watch it, then it doesn't have any business. Mm. So, so when we talk about self-criticism and self-critical and self-love, right, is is to have this separation between the through the mind and body that you know that when there is critical thoughts that arise, the mind is reacting to the belief that we have formed like in our childhood, in our in our upbringing, but it doesn't represent us. Mm. That's beautiful. beautiful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got to say about self-love. It, um, I don't know what other people talk about self-love, but this is, this is how I see self-love. Self-love as in being aligned with the spirit perspective and not just um, completely immerse yourself in the mind's perspective. And it's kind of and like... The spirit being, perspective. It's kind of like being in a, becoming an observer, right? The way I describe it. If yeah. I'm getting it right, where, like you said, instead of... Because you're right, our mind obviously forms all these stories based on the experience yeah. we have in life and we believe we are these stories. And what yeah. I hear from you, which is beautiful... Is this observable place of self-compassion where we can actually just observe the stories without identifying with them? And like you said, this critical, blaming, shaming mind self that compares to other people that cause all this suffering, if we can just observe it and realize it is just the mind doing its mm. thing, that's beautiful. And be, that's, I really, really... Yeah, it's just a very new way, I think, that you put it compared to you know, the way I, I, I've seen people try to describe it in the past. And I like the way you describe the spirit, because I guess you're right. In spirit, we can observe. We don't have to identify anymore with this monkey mind that we have that is so busy all the time, you know. Yeah. And when you have certain separation between the spirit and the mind, you now you can have compassion with the mind because you know that the mind is a build out of all the belief that you you have formed in your childhood, in your upbringing. You know that it, it's not the current you, but it's accumulation of all the events and all the meaning you have attributed in the past. I love that. And it kind of brings me straight on. This leads perfectly into the next one, which was, was you know, how can we cultivate self-love? And I think you started that already, because I guess yeah. if I'm hearing you right, the first step is to even become aware the awareness yeah. that we are not this story, right? That actually becoming aware that we're watching a movie, like you said, it's a great metaphor yeah. because that's the first step. If we don't even need to know we're watching the movie, then we think we are that character in the movie, yeah. right? So yeah. I guess awareness is the first, being able to just yeah. observe it. And, and then I guess I would presume the second step is to then be able to realize that also we can change that story or what I want to hear your opinion on this. Okay. Um, I've written a book called The Disbelief Habit. The, the main premise of this book is to disbelieve all your thoughts. Um, a lot of people will want to change their negative thoughts. That, that is one way. But what I found that um, changing the negative thoughts may not be that um, helpful or may not be that effective. Like I, have, I used to have a student who, who always says that, 
oh, I'm lazy, I cannot do this, I'm I like, I like such a failure. Like that, that every lesson we have to go through this, uh, I'm lazy, I can't do this. Then he, she will ask me like, oh, teacher, if I, am I lazy or am I stupid? Then I'll say, no, no, you're not. Then I'll try to like um, give some positive yeah. uh, encouragement, change her belief. But I find that it, that it never worked. So, so one day I decided to change. Rather, when, he, when she asked me, am I stupid? Then I said, yes, you are stupid. Then mm-hmm. <laughs> when I say that, she, she immediately defended, no, I'm not stupid, did you? Yeah. <laughs> but you think? Where it where there's criticism come from an external party, people get offended. But when we tell ourselves that we're stupid, it's actually all right. Why is that so? Why is that so? <laughs> <laughs> why why do we believe our thought? Every single thought that arises in our mind. But yeah. when when if we have this separation, like you and I are different, that like I tell you that you're stupid, you get offended. Yeah. So so, so the so the the space is very important, and for me, changing your negative thought, I have some problems because you don't know what is negative and what is positive. Yeah. For me, every thought that I write, I I start with disbelief, start with, start with mindfulness. Disbelief is just my way of saying mindfulness, like being aware of the thoughts, yeah. and not hundred percent believe fully that the thoughts that comes to your mind is um, accurate because a lot of things are formed based on your past and your past doesn't represent your current situation now. You're not a child anymore. You're not the, the, the person being bullied uh, in your childhood or you're not the, you're not the um, person who, who have your parents abandoned you in the past. You are who you are right now. And so if you are able to, to not take your thought all that seriously, mm. you, you can change it easier. Yeah. yeah. And I think even knowing, I love the way you're describing this, even like you said, knowing that, and that's part of the, I think the awareness is that you're right, that we are reliving these stories and often strategies we learned as a child were maybe effective as a child at that point because as a child we are quite helpless, right? But then as we become an adult and we aren't helpless, we still relive these patterns because we learn to believe that that is a world. And often our behavior reinforces that story, right? Like people who think they will be abandoned often behave in a way that means that people abandon them and then they keep believing the story even more, right? Without knowing that, like you said, they're actually an actor in that movie recreating that story until mm. they can step out and say wow look at all this suffering why am i even mm. you know buying into this story why do i believe that i will always be abandoned etc so yeah i think that's beautiful because and i used to work actually with a, a neuroscientist who studied story and trust um and he would talk exactly about this like not in the terms of self-love but talk about how we actually mm. create our world through story and how fascinating it is that the, the mind can mold stories and thereby change our world and our reality in the way you now describe around self-love. And also how you say the separation, we often don't notice how harsh we are on ourselves, right? Often we are not even aware because we're not observing the mind. And you're right, if somebody else talked to us like that, we would get angry. 
But yet we, yeah. and you know, even if our best friend or our child is in, in suffering or made a mistake, normally we are kind, like you did to that woman, we encourage them. And yet when suddenly we make a mistake, we're so harsh, right? Yeah. If you mess up in a business meeting, we will say, oh, you're so stupid. And we would never talk to, you know, our close friend or our child, etc., or our parents, etc., in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's just... Actually, if, yeah, if you understand the critical mind, you know that that, that is a, a, there's a reward for the mind being critical to you. Your mind is trying to protect you from um, making the same mistake again. Of course. And also the the mind is also trying to relieve you from guilt. So if you make a mistake and you punish yourself, you feel you can you can relieve some of your guilt, guilty feeling for making the mistakes. So so that there is some rewards to self-criticism, but we we can we can work with the inner critic and change the tone that you instead of like being so critical to us. We can ask it to suggest, give suggestions for changes rather than criticize us to 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 have improvement in our life. Mm, I like that. Mm. And you know, one thing I think would be really interesting to touch on is also, you know, the concept of shame and how that plays into self-love. Because I think it's often a strong inhibitor, right? Um, I mm. believe in being able to to get to a place of self-love, and also I. I believe that we very much are, are, are conditioned and learn that love is based on certain conditions because we grow up and we learn if I act in this way, my parents give me love, right? Mm-hmm. If I act in this way, I will get acceptance mm-hmm. by my teacher, etc., my friends, right? Mm-hmm. So we learn, I think, growing up that love somehow is, you know, conditioned based on doing certain things while other things are considered shameful, right? Um, and yeah, I just want to talk, I just bring it up now because I want to talk a bit about what, what you, how you see shame, how that plays in maybe to blocking self-love and, and what maybe we can do again to try and, to try and work with these aspects of ourselves. Shame. Let's see. Shame, 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 the feeling of shame comes from a certain belief that you have about yourself. So your self-perception, if you feel that you're not good enough, then uh, like I just say, if you, you, you give yourself positive thought, you wouldn't believe it because if you think that you're not good enough, no matter how, how well you say you are doing, how, how good you are, you'll never believe it because your belief system is this. So Shame requires you to change your belief system about yourself, your self-perception. Because people with a low self-esteem, it's not about how good or how well they perform or, or how good they are in terms of physical appearance or whatever. It's the perception of yourself that matters. So, so if your perception is, is in a negative manner, then... Um, You're, you're, you have a habit of thinking about yourself negatively, then, then that, will, that will block you from loving yourself. Mm. And also, like, a lot of the thoughts that comes through our minds are very exaggerated. Like, you could think that, 
oh, I, I'm always late for work. I, I'm, I'm always um, I'm not good enough for other people. Or like, um, I never get my work done. I always procrastinate. Or no one loves me. I, I never, I'll never find a partner of my life. Mm. All these words like always, never, mm. no one are all exaggerated words. Like, how could you test this? How could you like verify that you always, are you sure you're always lazy? Mm. Are you sure you're always like 100% all the time? Like, like didn't procrastinate, didn't get your work done? Or how, how do you then, how do you know that no one's love? Like, have you checked with every single person that no one loves you? So when, when the, your mind creates stories, it, it always comes from a place of exaggeration. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, the disbelief, the disbelieving in the thoughts like, like um, will help you to, to not engage in the, in the, in the, not joining with the self-criticism habit. When, when I see self-criticism, I see, I see two, two, uh, two, two layers of suffering. One layer is the mental layer. The mental layer, it comes from the mind, the, 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 the belief, the thoughts that we have, I'm not good enough and all, all that kind of story. Then it's the reaction layer. How do you react to this thought? Do you believe it? Do you like escape from it? Like if when you escape from it, then you will de- develop a strategy like like um like addiction, like uh, like you may want to watch TV or you want to drink or you or drink alcohol to 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 avoid hearing these noises and this inferior or shame feeling that you have. Or or you are you someone who 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 joins with the self-criticism, you worry about it. What if other people don't like me? What if you, you ruminate about the the with the self-critical thought? Or are you someone with with like um become self-pity? You believe everything that the self uh your critical mind says. You believe everything the inner critic says and you, you well in self-pity, you cry, you you feel hurt, you take things personally, or are you a person who fight? Like you're angry with the angry with your own critical thought. Like, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have this kind of thoughts. Like, your reaction matters because your mind can have um, um, critical thoughts, but you can don't react to the critical thought. You can just take a brief, watch the critical, observe the critical thought and just drop it. Like, that is like an alternate way of reacting. So when you start the uh, reactive layer, all, all that's left is just the mental layer, mm. the, the critical part. Beautiful. And I think it's like what we talked about in the beginning. It's like you mentioned, it's also challenging those thoughts. You know, when we say always, never, to challenge mm. them and say, how do I actually know this to be true? You know, so because yeah. you're right, because it dramatizes and, and exaggerate. Yeah. So we do need to challenge the mind and not just like mm. you said, accept it at its face value, mm. you know, and we believe whatever this mind shows us that is reality. But no, it's a reality. And it's really interesting. I read this book called The Brain, which describes what you're describing here so beautifully, which is how we don't see the world as it is. We see it how the mind mm. has filtered it. And, you know, he even mm. described the fact that, you know, we, we see color in the world. But he said, the color without your mind, or the, the world without your mind, the external world has no color. 
is when different wavelengths reach your eyes and is interpreted mm. by your brain, then we see color. Same with sound. Yeah. Sound is just vibrations, like if it's in pure form, right? But our brain makes yeah. us out of it that makes it into sound. So we can, mm. and once we understand, like you said, that the mind is creating this, then we also mm. understand we don't have to accept that as reality. It's just a perception we mm. have. And that's beautiful. I love mm. that. And also, I think back to, to what we talked about before around shame. And, and I think this idea that there are certain things we have to do to be loved, this idea of perfection, which I think mm. exists a lot, whether it's we have to do mm. good at work or we have to find a love partner. And I think there's often this mm. idea that I'm only lovable once I found mm. that partner or I'm only mm. lovable once I done really well in my job, right? Mm. That we feel we have to yeah. do certain things and therefore it's not okay to not have those things even though of course it is. It's beautiful. We don't have to have a life partner to be very, very lovable or, or have a high, well-paid job. But I think there's a lot of these conditioning, don't you think, around yeah. this idea that we have to be perfect before we can achieve and be lovable? Yeah. yeah. I think what, what the, the mind is, if you start with the basis, the belief that I'm not good enough, then you will want to, to become lovable. Mm. This is your desire. Then the mind will give you certain tasks to, to reach this desire. Like you have, to, you have to seek affirmation with your friends and family. You have to do this first, do this first, do this first, make a certain amount of money before you are lovable. Mm -hmm. So the, the mind is giving you obstacles to become lovable <laughs> when you, can, you are just lovable in, in, by yourself at this moment. Yeah, the mind really overcomplicates it, huh? <laughs> It comes from a very analytical perspective. I, I would say that the mind doesn't really understand love. Mm. It, love it understands love from a conceptual point of view. Mm. Like you have to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Then it's considered. Is, yeah. If you do this, then you will be this. Yeah. That is how the analytical mind works. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is also why so I, I do something called five rhythms dancing, which is a practice of movement and being present in your body. It's kind of, I call it, when people ask me what it is, I say it's moving meditation because that's what it is to me. It's breathing, observing. And when I get into my head, you know, and think, how do people think I look when I dance and get back into my body and just being present. And mm -hmm. I, I think, and I love what you're describing because I think when we get into our body, and that presence, we can sense we are already loved. And yeah. it's when I get up to my mind and think, oh, what do people think? How do I look when dancing? Am yeah. I good enough? You know, then I don't yeah. feel loved anymore. And then mm -hmm. when I can close my eyes and breathe and come back to my body, my body already knows that mm -hmm. I am already loved. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. I don't have to look good on the dance floor. I have to do nothing. Um, and therefore, there's something, don't you think there's something also about reconnecting to our bodies? Because we learn so much. Mm -hmm. You know, in our education, the way we grow up, it's all about being analytic. You know, we value, we yeah. praise people that are good at analyzing, who are good at solving tasks, mm. who are good at maths, you know, everything to do with analyzing. But we don't really teach children how to be present in themselves, right? Mm. Just in their body. I don't yeah. know, what do you feel about this? We definitely give too much credit to the mind. That, that is where, 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 where the, the mind creates an identity, an ego that, like an identity that we need to to let's say I'm a I'm a good person. There there's a certain criteria I need to do. Mm -hmm. So the so the mind is always analyzing, but of course of course the mind is useful in many ways. But when it comes to 
feeling love and like being in the body and being in the perspective of spirit that that will help you feel more connected to to the to not just yourself but to the the nature to the world also yeah so so definitely that the body is 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 uh is a good anchor to to get away from the mind so meditation or some mindfulness exercise or practice right they always ask you to like um, notice your breath so inhale exhale so when you notice your breath it takes the attention away from the mind because yeah. most of us are putting too much attention on the mind my 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 what have the what am i going to do next what am i going to do this <laughs> <laughs> we are we are always like mind focus so having an anchor like your body like doing dancing or like just just paying attention to how your feet feels touching the ground right now yeah that change that changes everything you it's very difficult for you to focus on your mind and also focus on the feet touching the ground yeah. so when you focus on the feet touching the ground then your your attention will just shift yeah. from mind to the body and your whole body will just relax and you you feel more connected to love more connected to yourself and and that is how simple self love can be yeah it doesn't have to be complicated yeah and i think that's probably why people like dancing because it brings them into that space again right the movement where it can yeah. take you out of this constant chatterbox mm. of of mm. the mind that is so critical and just brings and i had an experience of that actually once i did a workshop and dance for i think was it six hours and because the movement and exhaustion your thoughts suddenly start going quiet because when you get so yeah. tired right and it was so beautiful when suddenly like for, i think for one of the first time in my life my mind just went quiet and it was such a yeah. relief and all I could feel was my body and there was literally nothing I had to do. And in that moment, I think it's the first time I felt love for everyone, including myself, mm -hmm. because my thoughts were just quiet. And and I think it was partly, like I said, just exhaustion for having moved my body mm -hmm. that long. But it was very interesting to notice that once that could be quiet down, then there is this space where there is nothing we mm. have to do. There is no ideal of being perfect. There is You just know already that I am loved and all these beautiful beings and all we are trying to do in this physical existence is we are all trying to feel safe and we use different strategies that we learned, right? Mm. To try and, and yeah. get that sense of physical safety. And even yeah. as I felt my body almost dissolving because I got so tired, I also sensed that fear went away. And I think that's why I could feel this sense of love. Mm. Because I think mm. fear is a manifest of a physical experience, right? Mm. It's that we're afraid of this physical body yeah. not surviving. And suddenly when we don't, are not attached to this physical body anymore, there's no mm. fear. And that was quite mm. like impactful to actually experience. And I can still access that sometimes, not all the time, of course. I'm human. My chatterbox still <laughs> takes over. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wanted to talk to you a bit more about what we mentioned earlier. Because we talked about the stories and how they're formed. Um, and you said they're formed in childhood and then we get different strategies, right, for feeling loved mm. or, or how to protect ourselves from being abandoned, whatever it is that we we have kind of learned. And mm. I know you've also written a book, which is why I want to, you know, about this, about how to work with the inner child and, and try and heal. Mm. So I would love to, if you want to touch a bit on that, because I think it's still very important for self-love, right? I think mm. part of self-love is also, well, going back to this child, that obviously maybe in some ways didn't experience that love or maybe experienced it in a more dysfunctional way, etc. 
you know, could you talk a bit about that? How we can re-engage with that? Okay. Uh, in in the book, Parent Yourself Again, I talk about the inner child and inner parents. Um, um, inner child, inner parents, just like inner critics are like our sub personalities. That means it's a different fragment of our minds. Like we have we have a smaller characters that 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 we play. If if you if you think about this, like if you have a inner critic that is criticizing you, and there is a part of you that feel hurt, that is actually two different personalities. Mm. Because there's one that is critical, and there's one that is feeling hurt, and both are you. So, <laughs> who is the real you? <laughs> like there, there is multiple channels of personalities in your mind, which sometimes they attack each other. So, so in my book, I talk about inner child and inner parents. Sometimes inner parents can be can be seen as inner critic, especially if you have a very critical parent growing up, and you adopt the uh, critical strategy you use that your your parents use to uh to re- interact with you. Okay, so in the book, my my suggestion is to 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 lower the power of the inner parents because usually the inner parents have a lot of power. Within the, your psyche, it like it's like if it scolds you, it tells you to do something. You will always listen to the inner inner parent, but, but mo- most of us neglect the child part of us, the, the part of us that feels hurt. So so to 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 enable the the inner child to to tell you what the needs are, what the desires are, we need to we need to quieten down the inner parent first because if the Inner parent is too critical, too too um too aggressive. The inner child didn't your emotion and inner child doesn't get to surface. You will, you will always be suppressed or always be hidden. Like will not let you know what you truly feel, what your what your needs are. So so one part is to lower the inner parents. Another part is to develop this listening skill. Like what 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 will you think uh good parents will be? Someone who listens to their child, right? Someone who 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 uh be present with their child and ask them what are you feeling. So so when I first assess my inner child, I, I do do so by asking like what are you feeling. Then I just wait for the answer. If there's no answer, it's never mind. It's okay. And I will try another time. I just keep on my very patient, very compassionate to the inner child to so that. The inner child will be courageous enough to to let me know what emotion. And when the emotion comes out, let's say I I feel um um a lot of tears coming out, right? I I, I don't engage my inner parent and say, oh no, you're not supposed to cry, because this 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 will break break the trust between you and your inner child. So if I I'm about to cry, I'll allow myself to cry. In fact, I'll tell myself it's okay to cry. Cry. I, I would like to to observe the emotion. I would like to know what you're feeling in the child, and and encourage it to to uh, show you their emotion. And when you do this often enough, you actually find that um, the inner child surface quite um, easily, quite quite. Um, Quite easily, like you don't even need much effort. You will just oh, I realize my inner child comes again. And sometimes, sometimes you can feel it in the body also. Like sometimes, because I'm more intuitive, so so I know which part of my body is feeling the pain. So sometimes it 
many years, a couple of years ago, I feel that the pain is on my right thumb. Then I'll like stroke my right thumb. I say, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You can tell me like, I'm here for you. Mm. All the calming and soothing words that what a good parents will be, you show it to your inner child. This will encourage the inner child to, to tell more yeah. about his, his story. And of course, when the inner child tell you the story, again, you have to see it in the spirit perspective, in the observer perspective, and not 100% immerse yourself with the story because then you will become the victim. You want to have some separation also so that you can have compassion but not, not become the inner child. Mm. And, and also what I hear is, you know, parent yourself is, is actually giving your child because we all want to be seen and heard, right? It's mm. a fundamental mm. human need. So yeah. also what you're describing when you describe really, I really loved how you describe, let myself cry. And, mm. and also with, you know, touch and massaging that this idea that you are actually present with yourself, because that's what we wanted, right? We wanted somebody who could be present mm. and allow us to yeah. be seen, which is allowing yourself to cry in that moment, yeah. right? Where mm. we don't feel judged. Because, you know, mm. somebody asked me what, what love is, and it's, it's a big question. But mm. I try to summarize it down to, it's a feeling of safety. I think we cannot feel love if we feel fundamentally fearful and unsafe, mm. right? It's feeling safe mm. in our presence, in our body. It is acceptance. It is feeling the acceptance of what we are without having to inhibit ourselves, right? And it's being able to be vulnerable, so showing those parts. Mm. And, and that's so beautiful because you kind of describe how you do that yourself. You met yourself mm. with no judgment and instead you encourage mm. yourself with acceptance, right? And saying, let myself cry. So you gave that child what it needed in that moment, which was to be mm -hmm. seen and acknowledged. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful because what I've done sometimes with people with, with inner child work is then having them imagine that child in that moment, right, right mm -hmm. where they were, that pain, and say, what does that child need right now? And mm -hmm. can you, as your adult, give that to them? And that's kind of what you did there, right? Mm -hmm. By observing mm -hmm. and saying, actually, I'm not going to be my parent and start criticizing mm. that I'm crying, I'm going to actually encourage it. That's, you know, your adult self giving what you needed, right? In such a beautiful, mm. beautiful way. Yeah. We, we are always looking outside of ourselves for love and attention. Mm. So if you notice that, oh, I'm seeking someone, I'm, I'm messaging someone, I'm waiting for their reply, like, why I'm not getting their reply? Then could you ask yourself, can you turn it back? back to yourself like, oh, my inner child needs some attention. Could I give myself some attention? Yeah. Could I give myself some love? Yeah, so so if you notice that, if you are able to be aware that we are actually often seeking outside ourselves for love and attention and approval and everything, if we can make a U-turn and point all the attention back to ourselves, we, we actually could be very self-sufficient in this area of love and mm. uh, and connection. I love that, you know, even during coronavirus, I had to say, you know, my child need a, a hug. <laughs> and I gave myself a hug. I'm like, you know, sometimes in all this isolation, we just need a hug and we can even give that, right? And that's okay. Yeah. People, and I think this is where judgment can often block the self-love because we have all this judgment mm -hmm. about what is okay to do, right? Somebody said to me mm -hmm. that that's weird. 
And I said, but where does that judgment come from? You know, yeah. what is weird if you're isolated in a house by yourself for, yeah. you know, six months? Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense to give yourself a hug. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not, maybe even in a normal world, you sometimes just need a hug. And why, why do we perceive, yeah. where does this idea come from that certain things yeah. are acceptable and some are not? And yeah. also, how does that inhibit our ability to love ourselves? I find that very fascinating. Yeah. This goes back to the, the belief system, right? You have a certain belief that hugging yourself is something weird. So this is where you should be, you, you can disbelieve your thought as question, challenge yourself. Where did I get this, this idea from? Where does this belief come from that hugging yourself is weird, right? And, and if between weird and effectiveness, I will always choose effectiveness. If it helped me, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if it's real. <laughs> I will hug myself every day. That's right. That's right. Because it makes my good, happy life. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's so right. And also, you know, even, even in self-love, this is very interesting because I've spoken to quite a lot of people who have a lot of shame around pleasure, like even a hug, you know, giving yourself yeah. the physical sensation. So they feel a lot of shame around that. So they don't mm. actually allow themselves to make themselves mm. feel good. And I've, I've mm. found it so fascinating to see how we can even block ourselves in that way, like you said, yeah. our mind and, and how yeah. important it is to challenge these concepts and saying yeah. why, you know, you were giving this body with nerves that make it possible yeah. to feel touch that can yeah. calm you down and make you feel better and improve your immune system and your mm. sleep. Why do you think yeah. nature would develop this incredible organism for you to not be allowed to do that, right? And yeah. again, this is part yeah. of the challenging, like you said, and I've done this in journaling. I started when I had these thoughts, I would journal down and start challenging mm. and say it makes no yeah. sense that nature would create this incredible wonder for then me yeah. not to be allowed to, to, to touch it, right? It just makes mm. no sense. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of what you're describing, challenging that yeah. mind. Your, your body is already calling you that, that you need a hug. Yeah. You, are you waiting for someone to get off their work, like finish all their work, so not be busy then for you to just get a hug? Well, you can just give it a hug. Right now, right? This is that's uh, right, like like that. <laughs> Just give us a hug. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And also, I think, you know, I don't know your opinion, but I think there's a lot of this idea of individualism, you know, that when we're adults, mm. we shouldn't have these needs anymore. I heard that a lot, you know, people mm. say, oh, but you're an adult. And I'm like, no, because my child is still with me. And actually part of those yeah. needs will always yeah. be with me. You know, I'm yeah. always my whole life yeah. going to have a need to get a hug, I yeah. doubt that will ever disappear, you know? So it's funny how we have this construct as well that some of these things, when we are no longer a child, we shouldn't have the need for that anymore, you know, or compassion of being heard. I don't know what you feel about this. I feel that it's not just child needs a hug, like adults need hugs too. This is like basic humans needs, <laughs> like touch. Maybe, maybe certain people, it also comes with the love language. I think certain people, what people prefer physical touch as a form of love, mm -hmm. while other people may may prefer like um praises yeah. to 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 love. So so, uh, people who think that or oh, as an adult you sh shouldn't need love anymore, maybe to them their their physical touch is not one of their criteria, one of their one of their top um um top language of love, mm -hmm. not not their a love language. That's why they, they, they might feel that um, other people shouldn't have hearts also. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But it really depends on the individual. Like, 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 what, what is your your language of love? So like, for me, physical touch and quality time is the most important. Same. Same. Uh, wow, wow, like, yeah. So, so maybe that's why we we don't find that giving ourselves touch, physical touch, is is weird. But to somebody who mm. who who have these two like physical touch as one of the lowest, they 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 may not appreciate mm. it. Like for me, like, um. Give is one of the lowest. So if people give me thing, I don't feel anything. <laughs> I I bet even think, oh, why did they give me this thing that I don't need? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, different people will have different different preference. And I think it's a good yeah. point you bring up here. Like this is more about how we show love to others and self love. Mm-hmm. But I still think yeah. it's an important point because I think we often give what we want to receive, right? So I think yeah. we have a presumption that others are similar to us. That's just the human yeah. bias, right? So and yeah. I know this that. When, when I, in the past, uh, when I wanted to show love, I would touch people, you know, I'm a massage yeah. therapist, I would give massage. Yeah. And, and I realized, like you said, that that's not the love language of everybody else, you know. So mm. it's important to, again, ask people and understand mm. what made them feel love, because you're right, for some they want word yeah. of praise, some people maybe prefer a gift, whatever it is, you know, they want. Mm. But actually understand the others and not presume. Again, it's a trickery mm. of the mind, isn't it? This presumption yeah. that others are like yeah. us, and therefore we think if I give what I want, yeah. then they will be happy. Uh, oh, my! Have a reality. We create reality if we think that no one loves us, right? So that, that is our reality. That we think that we will be able to to know what other people is thinking. Mm. Like they definitely don't love me because in my reality, yeah. everybody knows don't love me. So we view our world with the lens that we carry yeah and we think that everybody like thinks the same way as yeah and you know i think that's the key point of our talk today that we have to be aware that we are viewing the world through a lens it's interesting you know because mm. my friend he works with people who have social anxiety and he said exactly mm. this he said you know if you speak to a person with social anxiety then you will see that their minds start interpret signals as rejections that are not at all rejections. Mm. It could be somebody turning yeah. their head just because somebody else is speaking yeah. to them, which is mm. not a rejection, but their mind mm. would t- interpret it as a rejection, feel rejected, and then leave, right? So they create yeah. this, the reality suddenly of being rejected even when they weren't even rejected. Just like people who mm. have a high fear of being abandoned, they mm. you know, see abandonment if they don't get a text reply in two hours, even mm. though it could just be yeah. that I was busy at work and didn't have the time yeah. to reply. And therefore, yeah. I love you know, the whole idea, I think, behind the, the concept that you talked about today is this idea that we have to be aware that mm. you know, we're w- watching the whole world through this lens mm. and we should not believe this lens blindly. We can observe it. We can sometimes mm. enjoy yeah. it. And you know, sometimes yeah. it causes pain, sometimes it causes joy. But just yeah. realize that it is just that. You know, I do photography and I always say, you know, I have a 50 millimeter lens, but that doesn't mean I'm seeing the whole world. I'm just yeah. seeing what's in this 50 millimeter lens. <laughs> but you know, it's been so nice. I really have appreciated talking to you today. And I will obviously link your books that people can find on Amazon. Could you also just maybe tell people where they can find you? if they would want to speak more to you or if they just want to find more about your work, etc. Okay, um, they can come to my website. Um, then they can read some of the blog posts about that are written about self-compassion and mindfulness. Um, they can reach my website uh, via this URL address, www.nerdycreator.com. Nerdy as in N-E-R-D-Y, 
creator as C R E A T O R. Nice, nerdy creator, perfect. So go yeah. go check that out, and there's a lot of good content. Um, yeah, and as I said, I can also really recommend the books. I think this is really beautiful wisdom that can help a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing this today. I really appreciate it so much. And don't forget to give ourselves a hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give yourself a hug. That's very important. Thank, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Today. Thank you so much. Hope to speak to you soon again. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also, leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down, how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast.